Welcome, friends and fiends. This is your host, film critic and comedian, Nate Wyckoff. And I'm here to tell you about an exciting giveaway that Warner Brothers Discovery and Colton Classic Films LLC has put together to build your 4K Ultra HD film collection on digital. We are giving away four codes which contain digital 4K Ultra HD versions of Rebel Without a Cause, Maltese Falcon, and Cool Hand Luke. These are films that you absolutely must know as a film buff. You can get this code by being one of the lucky four people we pull from our newsletter list. So go to coltonclassicfilms.com slash newsletter and give us your email and your name and we'll sign you up for the newsletter and we will enter you in the competition. That's all you got to do. So please go ahead and do that. The contest ends on April 30th and we will send out the winning codes on May 1st. Thank you so much for being a listener. And here's your episode of Colton Classic Films Podcast. Welcome to Colton Classic. <laughs> Welcome, friends and fiends, to another episode of Colton Classic Podcast, the podcast where we talk about two thematically linked films, one mainstream and one cult, and uh, discuss them both. With us, as often, is a longtime contributor, Jeffrey Tucker. How are you doing, Jeff? Good. Still good. Yeah. Good, Excellent. Good, 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 good. And we also have a longtime contributor, Greg Johnson. How are you doing, Greg? Oh, I'm I'm fucking drunk. So oh, don't call on me. Don't. Well, you know what? Uh, this might be your lucky day. There's there's there only might... two people in the classroom here. He's gonna point at you at some point. Oh shit! <laughs> it is the 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 rule of probability. I, of course, I'm your host, comedian and film critic Nate Wyckoff, and uh, this is part two of our uh, match made in heaven. David Hasselhoff and Linda Blair uh, two pack. Uh, two films featuring the acting talents of David Asloff and Linda Blair, 80s legends. So, Witchery is this week's. Last week we did Bailout, a fun uh, late 80s sort of buddy cop vibe action film. And this week we have an Italian horror film, Witchery. This film is also known as La Casa 4, which is part of uh, what I think in the States is usually considered the Ghost House series. Um, partially because part three was released in the U.S. Uh, under the title Ghost House. Part three had um, sort of a, a goofy haunted house vibe with some interesting kills for those interested, those gore hounds out there, uh, a spooky doll, that sort of thing. Witchery, uh, as is with the rest of the films in this series, unrelated to the previous other than having a supernatural theme. I... There's a lot to talk about in this movie. The first thing I have to say is that this is an Italian-made horror film. Now, what that tells fans of horror who are familiar with Italian horror film is that uh, the plot is inconsequential uh, and also nonsensical. I, I Generally, I consider Italian horror to have uh, filmmakers, rather, directors and writers and so forth, to have sort of two main categories that they will fall into either they are focused on creating a very hauntingly atmospheric sometimes very tense environments i think of uh dario argento often considered the master of italian horror cinema uh who did films like suspiria uh and and uh deep red things like that uh and, and then we have the other kind, which is really the gore hounds, the, the ones that they really were just in it for the gruesome effects, um, like Lucio Fulci, uh, uh, Zombie 2, that sort of thing. And in both of those cases, plot does not even register on that radar, does it? 
Um, <clears throat> that isn't to say there aren't some Italian horror films that have sensical plots, uh, but this is not one of them. Witchery has just the barest semblance of, of plot throughout it. And um, it, I find this to be a very uneven film. Uh, it, it, has, it has some production issues. Um, so I'm gonna quickly go over what plot is there. Uh, and it's gonna be pretty brief because it's mostly set up with very little payoff. Um, and that's not to say there's not some things that are interesting in it, but let's just dive right in. So basically the setting is an old hotel on an island that's supposed to be in Massachusetts. And this, uh, this haunt hotel supposedly had um, lots of witch burnings. And the movie opens with a flashback to a pregnant woman running uh, from what looked to be pilgrims and yet she runs into the hotel which is clearly like 1980s uh very weird and then instead of being caught uh she jumps out the window and presumably she and her unborn child die fast forward to the future there is a there are a bunch of characters who end up getting stuck on this island in this hotel in the middle of a storm um two of them david hasselhoff and um and the character leslie who's played by uh leslie cumming um, they are a writer and he's a photographer and she's of course a virgin for some unknown reason clearly she has some psychological issues uh, that David Hasselhoff's character is not thrilled with he keeps trying to uh, to push her to have sex uh, and of course she doesn't um, and then we have they're joined by uh, a, a group of four who are related there are uh, the older parents a a their adult daughter played by Linda Blair who is pregnant and then her young young brother uh Timmy or Tommy I think it's Tommy uh it really doesn't matter frankly um <clears throat> and this group also brings along two additional people uh, a realtor for the property because they're looking about building this up into a functioning hotel again and an architect now the reason that I just give these names is because they don't really matter um, they're essentially just fodder for the witch that is haunting this location to uh, brutally murder in some sort of what is apparently ritualistic way to do something. We don't, that's the problem. We don't, there's no clear objective here uh, as to what, we know that there's some dark ritual taking place um, and, but we don't really know why. And this movie ends with the best comedic freeze frame I have ever seen. Uh, and it is not supposed to be funny, but it cracked me up. Uh, let's just go really quick. I wanna go over a couple of background points. So uh, this movie was originally, uh, going to be it was produced by Joe D'Amato who has made lots of great films uh, horror primarily horror films and pornography films and sometimes horror pornography films um, very well known Anthropagus is one of his big ones um, uh, also known in the U.S. as Grim Reaper in a cut form uh, but anyway he produced this and he hired Luigi Cosi um, Luigi Cosi made uh, some pretty fun pretty great science fiction that always horror related really um or mainly horror related including contamination which i love sort of an alien an unofficial alien sequel uh he was hired on and then uh they were like oh you can't make any changes to the script to which he said i quit uh and which was probably a good idea but uh demato replaced him with uh fabrizio Laurenti, who went under a pen name and uh and, and there was this, this is Fabrizio's first directorial debut, and it shows. Uh, here's why I say that. 
Um, part of the problem with the plot is actually not in the idea of the story because after about halfway through and all the characters have been introduced, I kind of understood how they all related to each other. They all relate to the house or the, the hotel. But it's a very confusing 30 minutes to get there because we get a bunch of scenes abutting each other that do not have a clear connection. And it's that kind of it's that kind of lack of understanding of visual storytelling that's inherent in film. If you're writing something down, you can get away with certain things by having by creating evocative imagery and scenes and people will theoretically follow you to the next one and trust that you'll take them somewhere. But in a movie, it's harder for an audience to do that because instead of beautiful language or you know beautiful descriptions things like that, we get jarring cuts. And so when I go from seeing one person in a time that I don't understand where it is, is this the past, is this the present? And then we go to the same place, but it's supposed to be the future with different characters. And I just don't know what's happening or why. And I, you have to have a really good sense of where you're going and you have to communicate that with your audience. Um, even if you don't tell them everything, you have to communicate that you're competent enough to tell them everything and when that's not there when things seem like you're not sure about what you're doing which is often the case for a first-time director uh you your story doesn't hold because your audience doesn't trust you enough to follow you uh deep into the film before they figure things out that's that's one thing the next thing is that this movie um and i will say uh this director he did go on to make uh, quite a few other films after this. This was very early, obviously, in his career. Um, Fabrizio Laurenti, he he made some much better films, and I think that he probably learned a lot on this shoot. Um, the plot, again, it's real loose, and there are some interesting and gruesome moments in this. Um, the witch who is super awesome. I would have watched her all day. Originally, Lucio Cozzi uh, wanted to get Betty Davis to play this role, um, who famously kind of did some black magic of her own or dabbled, I think, you know, who knows how much. Um, but The Witch is played by uh, Hildegard Neff, which she is uh, a German actress. Um, she, uh, she started before the fall of the Third Reich and continued on. She's been in many, many, many uh beautiful films and some interesting ones she was uh she's uncredited but she was in the dirty dozen everybody dies alone in 1976 uh the 1963 version of bluebeard really great and also truly i think one of the great beauties of the the 40s era of international film and she's still quite beautiful here even though they make her look like uh lisa caputo uh plus 60 years, you know, uh, Long Island beat him. Like, anyway, it's interesting to see her in this. She plays the lady in black, who is the spirit of the witch that is causing all these murders to happen. And uh, the only one that ever sees her is the little boy. Don't know why, it doesn't really matter. Um, she ends up possessing Linda Blair, who is pregnant, uh, sort of as a parallel, I guess, to the, the pregnant witch that was murdered. We don't really know if that's the case uh or why there be connection but watching linda blair be possessed after having watched the exorcist that's like shooting yourself in the face to shave like you don't want to do that you don't want to reference a far superior uh film 
in your own movie that you know is not going to attain that level of depth and success uh, or effect. So that's a weird thing to do. Uh, it's like if Dumb and Dumber opened with, um, you know, that's not even a good, because Dumb and Dumber is a good stupid comedy. It's not even good. There's just really, it's just really don't do that. Um, also, she doesn't really have much of a role. She spends most of it kind of dazed, I would say. Uh, and, and, and that's like, she's supposed to be dazed. Like she's having visions. David Hasselhoff is a much better thing. He also has the best line in this movie, which is he's talking to Leslie, a uh, Leslie Cummings character, uh, the writer and the boat carrying everybody else is showing up. She's like, Oh no, like, Oh shit, there's people coming. And he's like, yeah. So, and she's like, well, this is private property. And he goes, yeah, you're writing a book. Didn't you reach out and ask for permission? She said, yes. He goes, so, so they didn't give it to me. And that was just like a really good exchange. And it's what happens when you have an actor or actors who know what they're doing. They know how to be people and you put them in front of a camera. And Hasselhoff and Blair too, but especially Hasselhoff tries his damnedest to be natural in this movie. And he is, but because nobody else is, especially, she's a very nice person, but Leslie Cummings, she was in this movie and then she was in Killing Birds, aka Zombie 5. Um, those I believe are her only two credited films, at least that have been released here in the US. She plays the movie, like she she speaks and acts as though she is on Ambien um, or, or some sort of quaalude because everything is like this and spoken like this and she does this and she looks straight ahead as though she's reading her lines off of David Hasselhoff's chest and it is real rough. Um, that's this movie in a nutshell. There's a couple other things I want to touch on, but I've, I've prattled on and I definitely want to get to uh, what you guys think. Jeff? What was your expectation about Witchery? I know you're not a huge horror fan. And what was your uh, feeling on it after watching it? Uh, I hated this film. Uh, <laughs> I mean, not, not, I mean, I normally just don't like, don't care for them. This one, I was just like, uh, I felt like my time was being wasted, um, which it really wasn't because I basically tuned out after a little while and, you know, focused on other things in my life. Um, I just this movie is so poorly put together you've 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 uh you've you know marched on a couple of the points just like even just like the general like script concept like I I just whenever like there's no interaction between like you know your your you know foil or your villain and like your characters yeah. it's just like it's so boring there's no drama there it's like like the most dramatic scene in this entire film was like you know, the dad looking for a boat and like, you know, it's like this tension <laughs> right. between him and the boat driver is like, well, I don't want to go out. It's like dangerous out there. He's like, well, I'll pay you lots of money. Yeah. And he's the like, real, the nah. realtor's father trying to get someone to take him to the island because he thinks his son is stuck there, which he is. Yeah, yeah. that's true. That's the only impetus. Because, and sort of the con, you point at something, the concept of the movie is kind of flawed for tension because. You, I think they thought, oh, making them stuck there is going to make it more tense because they're getting picked off one by one. But because they don't know what's happening, what actually happens is they are motivationless because they, yeah. the characters have nothing to do but wait until this storm passes, which, by the way, there's no storm. Yeah, it's that, very no. clear at all times if so, there's no storm. <laughs> so There's like, wind. We got to leave because there's wind. And then the, you, they, they show yeah. the water and it is it's flat. Acid. <laughs> They're like we'll never you get can back see on that your reflection crap. in it <laughs> yeah it's a problem um yeah. i i feel you i think the construction and the editing and the putting together of this movie is is a huge hindrance to people watching it um greg what was your expectation going in and what does what do you 
How do you feel now that you've seen it? Well, as I briefly mentioned last week, this was the film I, uh, I started with. And uh, so no expectations, um, but leaving it, I was, I was not looking forward to, uh, to bail out at the time. Um, I'm, I'm right there with you, Jeff. This film was fucking all over the place. Um, I, I think I, one of my notes is the, the old robed woman, a.k.a. the witch. I thought she was the strongest and best part of the entire cast. And sure. I was just living between her moments. Which are um, few. And, yeah. And of course, like, um, as you said, kind of in the intro, Nate, that uh, the, the gore moments, fucking great. The, uh, the fireplace scene, the yeah. sewing of the lips. Um, yeah. Those are fantastic, but they were, they were really far and few. Yeah, so it's sort of, so the, the first, I would say the first half of the movie has zero of those. And then the second half of the movie is sort of, you have one or two, like the fireplace scene, and then you have a bunch at the end. Um, and, and then a climax that next to those is somewhat anticlimactic. Um, the, the gore scenes that stand out and I'm sure have been included in compilations in such sense and is probably why some gorehounds have a fondness for this film um, is the, the greedy or, or badgering, I can't remember what her sin was that the witch sort of uses her to, but, to kill for, but the older woman who wants to buy the property, her and her husband, She's captured by being pulled down a dummy, those dummy waiter, dumb waiter things in between the floors. And, um, and then her lips are sewn shut. And by the way, the poster, which is beautifully executed, but gruesome and probably drew many people to, to buy this movie. I think it was released by Shockorama a while back. In fact, I'm pretty sure in the US, you can find it in some dollar stores right now. Um, has like this beautiful woman with blind eyes uh, screaming as old hands drive this giant sewing needle through her cheeks. Very gruesome. Doesn't happen in the movie. Uh, also, the person who gets her lips on shut is an older woman. Uh, totally, you know, they're totally just baiting people about this, but that's normal. Um, it's good. It's effective. Um, it's gruesome, as many Italian horror movies are. And she, as you said, the fireplace scene, basically, the she's got her mouth sewn shut. And then I actually do appreciate that as gruesome as it is, there's a purpose. It's not just the torture. It's because they're actually hanging her upside down in the flu. So when, of course, it gets cold and the group, the rest of the group, not knowing she's in there, lights the fire, uh, she burns to death, which is, of course, very gruesome. And she looks gruesome and they let us see it. It's, it's, it's spooky. Um, and then we get this great, one of the other few great lines, which is like, what is in that wood? You know, the husband says that at one point because they're smelling something funky. And of course, it's his wife cooking in the rafter. Um, we also get scenes of um, like, so the people that actually do the killing, we don't know if they're demons or people or witches or whatever, but the, the woman in black doesn't actually do it. She has like these three or four like aged Italian minions, these hunched like, you know, babushka-ish characters who like fondle the victims and do things like sew their lips shut or to the, um, the lecherous uh, uh, construction person, the architect that they bring in, I think her name is Lisa or something, you know, she's, she's like having an affair right away with the realtor, even though she's got a boyfriend back home. And like, I don't know, they're, they're hurting her at some point, trying to kill her, but really it just looks like they're giving her hickeys or poking her in the face until of course later they find her like skewered by a stuffed marlin on the wall. Um, and I mean, these scenes are, it's all gruesome, but what got me was that leading into these scenes, we get this insane um, 
like soft focus with I don't even know how to describe it like a very 60s Batman overlay of like a red tunnel on top of it and and then the characters screaming and moaning like they're going into hyperspace um, but it's so like inexpensively done um, it sort of reminds me of so Rosemary's Baby very famous film based on the famous novel um, the the culmination of that is that uh, Rosemary is um, violated by her husband during a uh, sort of drug-induced state with a bunch of um, Satanists around her and she's going to give birth to the Antichrist. Um, so it's like this uh, perverted satanic rape. And it's a terrifying moment, but it's done in a very flowy, drug-like, trippy moment because she's drugged and it's very unnerving and also there's supernatural elements. So it's just, that's what they were going for, I think, every time one of the characters has a vision or gets captured because they keep putting these colors and and weird imagery, like I said, that red tunnel, sort of like a, a wet version of the James Gunn down the barrel intro uh, from the old James Gunn flicks. Uh, I mean, uh, James Gunn, huh? James Bond. I just had to work James Gunn in there. <clears throat> um, they try to do that, but it does not work. It does not work because the camera work's not there. The characters aren't even spinning. At one point, essentially, Linda Blair is just staring up, holding her hands up, like, you know, like um, Lady Gaga's paws up, you know, when she was doing that, or, you know, her, her fans with her little fake claws, and then just like going, ah, 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 just rotating back and forth while they superimposed some random image over her. It was really bad. And that's what leads into these really effective gore scenes. And it's just a weird mismatch of a very low tech um, effect that doesn't work with very effective gore and, and um, practical effects. And it's just a weird mismatch. It almost feels like, like several movies put together, although it is, um, I don't know. I don't know what to say about that, except for those are the moments that I think people probably remember who have fondness for this movie. The rest of it just does not work. And we also get um, clearly taken, taking the Rosemary's Babies thing. Um, the, the virgin book writer uh, has some sort of drug or, or, or mystically inspired like hallucination where she is uh, impregnated by, I assume a demon. I don't know if it's actually the same actor who played the uh, realtor, it's hard to tell because he's got face makeup and his lips are all spookily done. Um, and this is this is not to diss anyone's body. It's not body shaming, but you will see very upsetting 70s, late 80s, I mean, uh, late 70s, 80s breast work done, like breast jobs. And women, you can do whatever you want to make yourself look. You know, there's obviously many trans people I know want top surgery go for it. But just like any aesthetic surgery, when it's, if something goes wrong, it's very off-putting. And when you see someone who has rough top surgery uh, or any surgery, it's a shock. And that's the only nudity in the film is when she's essentially being raped by a demon. And it was, I don't know about anybody else, maybe I'm just super petty and, uh, 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 and you know, a terrible person but all i could think was that is a very poor breast job 
and this scene is now extra confusing and i didn't did not have the effect i would have rather there was no reason for her to need to be topless at that point um but i don't I, know if i that... mean i guess i was more focused on that fact of like why is she topless what yeah. is this scene about like why why is she being raped by these demons like it you know because rosemary's baby did it yeah yeah i, I mean, thinking it, about groceries at the time so <laughs> yeah it was it was just a, a needless scene so i'm i'm with you nate at least on the fact of yeah what are I, we doing here and i'm 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 thinking about anything else so i you know she's topless like what and i mean and what's she's happening a, she's a beautiful woman there's there's no reason but it it's one of those things it's like if somebody had uh you know a, a a second head growing out of their back and you saw it 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 did take me out of the moment because normally our visuals even in a horror film are very sort of aestheticized everything is supposed to look perfect even in horrible things so when you see something that's not uh what you expect whether it's nudity or anything it does sort of throw you out of the film real quick which is why a lot of independent or no budget films get nudity wrong i think um in one hand it's great because you see normal people nude cool whatever it lets everyone know people are different but also it's just the way that we in our current society have been trained indie movies will do that like well, we have to have somebody get nude well if you're the director and you're getting nude and you're a very homely person who weighs 250 pounds, I'm talking about me here, it's going to have a different effect than if I had Chris Pine stripped down and strut across my stage, right? So it does affect the viewership for better or for worse. And that's a different conversation, but interesting how it played out here. Now that gets us to the best ending here. Do you want to get to the end, Greg? Because I laughed for probably 20 minutes straight at this ending. Um, I'm just glad that the ending mirrored the beginning because you had, like you said, this weird dream sequence and then it cuts to her like, oh, I guess that was a dream. Oh, I'm pregnant. And I was I was fully ready for her to be shocked by that too, like to look down at her belly and be like, oh my God, what the fuck happened? But like, oh no, she I guess she was pregnant and that wasn't just a weird part of the dream. But then we have the <laughs> the end with... Uh, or I, I I can't remember. Does she actually look at the camera when she kind of does like a like so, a what? Yeah, so the version writer, everyone else has died. Poor David Hasselhoff has been stabbed in the back by a candelabra. I guess Tommy, the little boy, is still alive. He he was saved, and that was actually a good moment when David Hasselhoff, already stabbed, falls out of the doorway and yells Tommy's name, and Tommy's being strangled by the possessed Linda Blair. Um, he drops this Sesame Street tape player. And it plays the the recorded message, which is, I love you. And I can't remember his aunt's name, but I love you. I love you. And she's, of course, possessed, but that brings her out of it with just enough energy to throw herself out the window, mirroring the intro. That was the only part that actually kind of worked thematically and conceptually. Um, but then, of course, the we get the writer who is assaulted by the demons. Um, she wakes up in the hospital. The nurse is like, don't worry, Tommy's fine. And so are you. And more importantly, so is the baby. And that's when Leslie Cummings' character turns, looks directly into the camera and goes, the baby, and it freeze frames on her face. And it's supposed to be this like horrifying, like dun, 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 but instead, it's literally shot. It's like it's an episode of um, of of Family Ties or something. Like I just, I just, if you just put instead of the like you know tinny electronic um, early or late '80s synth, if you just put like um, standing tall, 
fall on the wings of our dreams. Like it just would have been the end to like uh, any sitcom from that era whatsoever. It cracked me up. Whatever the uh, I Love Lucy outro was, he could have just thrown that over it. It, it literally was because I mean, you just get this goofy look directly into camera, close up and freeze frame. It, it totally it was the antithesis of what they were actually looking for i definitely um, wrote in my notes uh just in all caps the baby <laughs> like i mean it 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 really was the icing on on a fucking confusing cake of yes. like you know backwards layers and just just <laughs> not not well thought out but you know again like i said there were moments and I think her looking at the camera and freeze frame the baby was really, really the summary. Yeah, I think Fabrizio with this film, like I said, I'm sure he learned a huge amount uh, with this movie. And um, I mean, yes, do I think Linda Blair was cashing a paycheck? Of course. Um, Did she still provide some acting? Yeah, she was great with the kid, Tommy. You loved her relationship with that little boy. Um, And David Hasselhoff, you know, I don't necessarily think it was a paycheck for him so much as I do think he was trying real hard to get film roles. Um, But I'm sure after a little bit on set or set, quote unquote, it quickly became a paycheck movie. yeah, especially looking at Bailout before this with David Hasselhoff and Linda Blair, they have interactions, they both have character development. Witchery, they do get a tiny bit of character development, but there's a lot of characters and the development is spread throughout them all. Most of them have, I mean, we at least know what kind of character they're supposed to be. Um, the The weakest ones would be the architect, uh, Lisa and, and the realtor. Um, we kind of get who they're supposed to be, but there's there's no solid i mean there's no characterization that's beyond that so it's pretty weak uh we're gonna we're gonna tie up here pretty quick i think this is one of those movies you could talk for 10 hours or talk for 20 minutes uh and and anything in between can't be done because one pull of the thread and the whole thing is going to come undone um i i will start I'm going to recommend this to people who like obscure Italian horror films. I'm, I don't think you're going to love it. I think you'll actually, as Jeff said, you're going to be bored after about an hour. But that last bit does have some of what Italian horror is famous for. And the reason Italian horror, one of the big reasons why it's famous, which are those those graphic uh gore moments you know there's not really a ton of blood although david asloff does have a great scene where um the father character dies through i think high blood pressure like the witch is using a voodoo doll and his blood pressure starts squirting they did really good vein work where they have fake veins that start to pulp and then pop it's gruesome but david david hasselhoff does such a great job and he maintains character and everything by having this exploding bright red tempera paint style blood just erupt across his face and into his mouth at close range like twice and it's a great moment and i just want that screen capture on a t-shirt um you know bless his heart i it just that's that's a moment for him and i think every solid actor uh should probably have a blood splatter moment um and i'm glad he got that but yeah i think the gore scenes are interesting um seeing meth as the uh as the witch is great because I do think she's a a legend that isn't respected or known enough in the U S because, you know, she started in, in Germany uh, during world war two or, or during, you know, the time leading up to world war two. And yeah, it's interesting to see who's in this, uh, but 
the plot is real tough and they try with the plot. I think that's the big failing is that they tried to have a plot. If they had just evened out through the whole thing and just made it a slasher flick of some kind, they would have been much more successful. Jeff, would you recommend witchery? And if so, why and to who? I would not. Uh, yeah, I, I don't think it's worth the time. Um, you know, unless, uh, unless you want to get so bored, like you need, like you can then do your like tax returns or something. Um, yeah. Uh, is it the wrong time to say that witchery is sponsoring us this podcast? Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I, I, I mean, I totally understand that. Um, I think, you know, the release by, again, I think it was Shakarama. I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure my copy Shakarama. Uh, the DVD for a horror film is quite an attractive case. It's going to be great shelf candy, um, but it, it doesn't deliver on the promise. Uh, Greg, would you recommend Witchery 1989, 1988 rather? And if so, why and to who? Uh, no, um, unless your name is Nathan Wyckoff and you're a massive cinephile and you love horror films and you have to see this to complete your grand lexicon. Um, but no, I mean, you know, for a lot of the same stuff Jeff said, um, I, and, and also you said, I mean, there's, there's these really solid moments, really like wonderful things. I unfortunately don't know enough about Italian cinema to have an alternate Italian recommendation. Um, the, the weird effect of people in the nightmare zone or whatever the fuck they were supposed to be doing um, made me think about Color Out of Space, which would be my yeah. alternate recommendation. Um, H.P. Lovecraft, you know, Cthulhu, Lovecraftian. You're talking about the witch crate, the witch cage, the Nicholas Cage. Yes. 19, <laughs> uh, 2020, I think, is when that came out. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, 2020, 2019, somewhere in there. Um, as, as always, um, I have a Nicholas Cage alternate for whenever I don't like something. Um, but yeah, it, it, it has moments. I think it's, you have to be really, really into like film or horror film to get something out of this. And for like someone like me, who's a little more, I, Hey, I'm, I'm here for the week to see what you got to recommend. And I want to try something I never have. It just, it wasn't my thing. I'd rather watch something a little more, a little more coherent, a little more comfortable. Yeah. I mean, I think I really, when it comes down to it, I think that's very solid. There's much better Italian horror. I mean, I've already mentioned it. Dario Argento is, is probably, is, my favorite but if, if you want something that's more atmosphere and still has that gruesome you know those gruesome moments to some extent check out the original suspiria um uh and then check out the the remake it's interesting as well uh <clears throat> and then uh and and if you want something that's just more on the gruesome side check out a Lu luigi cozy film i mean you're still not going to get an incredibly complicated plot for the most part but it's going to be better paced um and uh and maybe even you know do be kind and check out, I mean, this is his first film, check out um, Fabrizio Laurenti's later works, you know, check out uh, The Room Next Door um, is, is a much more interesting uh, Gallo film, you know, Italian murder mystery. So that's what I'm going to say for this one. I think we're on board. Uh, please let us know what you think. Leave us uh, positive reviews and wherever you get your podcasts. Check us out on Facebook and Instagram uh, at Cult and Classic Podcast, and then uh, go to our website, cultandclassicpodcast.com, where you can access all of our catalog of podcasts as well as wherever you get your podcasts normally, like Apple Podcasts, Podcatcher, etc. Send us your requests, 
email, complaints, anything you want to cultandclassicpodcast at gmail.com. And do you have films, uh, feature length or short films that you'd like us to include in a podcast episode? We are down for that. We've had several submissions and they're great and we love it and we can't wait to uh, get more and talk to you about them. So send us those at coltonclassicpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you guys so much. We'll be back on Friday with another mini-sode and then back Tuesday with a brand new pairing of Colton Classic Podcast films. I am your host, Nate Wyckoff, saying good night and good nightmares here at Colton Classic Podcast. To play us out, as always, is The Chud with All About Evil. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to Colton Classic Podcast. This podcast is important to me, but what's more important are the rights, privileges, and freedom from violence of everyone in this country and in this world. And that means supporting Black Lives Matter. If you'd like to make a donation, please go ahead and visit coltonclassicpodcast.com where we have a list of places you can donate and help out. And please stay safe.